News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on this Tuesday night, election night of Breaking with Brett Jensen. 704-570-1110. And guys, make sure you follow me on Twitter at Brett underscore Jensen for all the latest in breaking news in and around the Charlotte area. And by the way, guys, we're coming to you from the election headquarters tonight for Mayor Viles, and there's some other candidates here because this is the primary night. Now, even though only about 12 of you actually voted in early voting and earlier today, I think going into today, less than 1% of Mecklenburg County had been voting in the primaries. But, hey, here we are. And pretty much who's ever going to win District 3 and District 4 tonight in the primary for city council? That's who will represent the city of Charlotte in the city council. And there's some interesting things going on there that we're going to get into later. But first, it started just at 9 o'clock this morning, and that's when Mark Harris announced that he's going to be running for Congress in District 8, which is Union County. Mark Harris, as you may know or may remember, back in 2018 in District 9, beat Dan McCready. And then there was accusations of election fraud, and it was a whole wild mess and hearings that his son had to get on the stand. And then it eventually he vacated the election They redid a special election for District 9. Dan Bishop won, and he's been the congressman there ever since. Dan Bishop announced he's going to run for attorney general in North Carolina. That opened up the seat, and now Mark Harris once again has officially announced that he's running for the seat uh, there in District 8. So Mark Harris joins me now, and first of all, Mark, thanks for doing so. Second of all, why did you decide to run for Congress again? Well, Brett, you know, I I have sort of just been observing and watching um, as things have just continued to develop. You know, um, I ran in 2018 uh, for Congress and uh, had an incredibly challenging primary that we uh, were able to to win and then went into a general election and won. Um, And so I looked at what's happening in the nation today and the very issues that we ran on in 2018 have just almost become exponentially uh, worse under this administration. And, and when I see the people uh, and our families that are, are, are hurting, when I look at uh, my church family uh, where I have the privilege of pastoring and I just see uh, folks struggling, the nation is in a mess. And uh, we, are, we need leadership. We need leadership that uh, is marked by character and consistency and courage. I've always talked about that. And I think that this is a time that uh, we definitely need that leadership. I mean, you look at the economy, you look at the the southern border, you look at all of those things, not to mention the social issues that are are just uh, continuing to uh, grab the headlines. It's it's a time that we've got to just have leadership in this country that is going to be marked by that character, consistency, and courage. Talking with Mark Harris, who earlier this morning announced that he's running for Congress in District 8. And Mark, remember what happened last time that you ran for Congress? You brought it up earlier, 2018. You know your opponents are going to use use it against you. So when you hear about 2018 and they bring up 2018, what are you going to say about all that? Well, sure. I mean, uh, but the thing is, there was no reason that it was ever given not to trust me in 2018. Um, you know, even in the announcement, we we made it very clear in the video that was released today that um, it was a manufactured scandal that overturned an election. Um, 
you know, when we came out of all of that, uh, it was just weeks later that the State Board of Elections kind of went on a victory tour, it seemed, and and made it very clear that that the scandal was manufactured uh, by the things that they said. For instance, headlines and things that would say that there could have been thousands of ballots that uh, were somehow affected. And then Kim Strack would actually go on to make a statement at Davidson College that there was no uh, record of any ballots that were taken or destroyed. Um, and those kind of things just continue to, you know, uh, just really resonate in people's minds that how in the world could an election be overturned uh, and not certified when there were not near enough ballots uh, that would have changed the outcome of the election that were ever even in question. Um, and then when they actually got to where that they did what they should have done and it was turned over to law enforcement, then law enforcement at the end of the day came to, uh, I think it was maybe 10 ballots in my election and the guy that it was at the center of all the controversy at the center of all the news was charged with taking two ballots uh, in my election in the fall of 2018. Um, and yet, because of that, 282,000 ballots were, um, you know, more or less thrown out of the, what the voters had intended. When I stop and think that we learned so much after uh, that hearing in 2019 that we didn't know and couldn't know. In fact, it was enough that my wife wrote a book uh, called 13 Ballots, the Manufactured Scandal that Overturned an Election. Um, that the things we learned uh, took two years. That book wasn't published until September of 21 because she invested two years of work and research uh, in that book to tell the facts and the story of, of what we actually walked through. Um, so again, uh, I, I just think we, we're not here to relitigate 2018. Uh, people bring it up. I don't mind talking about it because I'm going to, I'll share the facts. Um, but you know, we're here to talk about where our nation is today because we've got to start getting everybody on the message of discussing what are we going to do to correct course for our nation once again. Talking with Mark Harris, who announced that he's running for Congress this morning. So, Mark, why should people vote for you? Well, I think they should vote for me because of, of just the life that I've, I've lived. Uh, I certainly have uh, tried to be a man that, uh, of honor. I've tried to certainly demonstrate that I'm a man of character. Uh, I've tried to live very consistently. Um, and I've been willing to stand on tough issues. Um, those that know me know that I don't uh, tend to operate by political calculation, but I tend to operate by conviction of, of what's right and what's wrong. Um, I've got good sense. I think people need to recognize that we need to have leadership that really is of the people. Um, I tell people oftentimes that there was a period that uh, as a pastor, I would be on the campaign trail and I would feel like that uh, I would almost have to apologize for being a pastor that was engaged in this arena. Today, when we see all of the things that are happening in the culture and the society, no longer would I ever feel like I almost 
seem to apologize for being engaged because of the way people push back. But I think people are looking for somebody who understands the times in which we're living and knows what to do. And that's what we desperately need. And I want to be that man. Are you going to continue your role serving as pastor up in Mooresville? No, I'm going to continue to pastor uh, the church. I can continue to do that. Um, We actually are living in Indian Trail. As you know, we we never really left Union County. My wife has been teaching uh, at uh, Metrolina Christian Academy uh, since 2019. Uh, So we have have had a very much involvement down there. And uh, we actually have a place down there as well as um, a place up at the lake. And so I, um, no, I, I'm not going to resign the church. I'm going to continue to preach and continue to pastor and, and lead our church. Talking with Mark Harris, who announced earlier this morning that he's going to be running for Congress in District 8. And Mark, 2018, your son gained a lot of notoriety because he actually had to testify. And his testimony made a lot of national news and he became pretty well known. Have you spoken to your son about running? And if so, what were his thoughts about it? We, we have talked about me running again, and uh, I, you know, I'm not going to speak for him of his thoughts. Um, I, I do think, you know, John has run for office himself now. Uh, he ran for a state house seat uh, down there in uh, the Apex area uh, in 2022. So uh, he understands these decisions, and he understands the process that somebody has to go through. And, uh, but we as a family uh, certainly have uh, talked about this. We've prayed about this. Uh, Beth and I have and uh, made the decision that this is the right time. And uh, with Dan Bishop's, was not really anything that was on my radar. Um, Dan Bishop, I think, has done an incredible job uh, in representing that district. In fact, I've said that time and again. Uh, that in many ways uh, that gave me a sense of peace uh, when I just see how Dan has performed as the congressman. And when he made the decision to uh, run for attorney general next year and step out of this seat, uh, I feel like we need someone that is uh, going to be courageous and continue to stand consistently with what what the values of the voters of that district uh, need in a congressman. Mark Harris, who announced earlier this morning that he's running for Congress in District 8, that most of it's going to be in Union County. I really do appreciate you taking the time to join us tonight. Thank you very much, man, for uh, all you do uh, for this community and uh, keeping everybody abreast of what's real and what's not. So there you have it. That's Mark Harris, who announced earlier this morning that he's run for Congress. That'll be in District 8, serving mostly all of Union County and maybe in a couple other counties, small slivers here or there, maybe into Anson County. But... You know, it's not a big surprise. I spoke to Mark back in June at the NCGOP convention in Greensboro, and a lot of people back then said, hey, look, we think Mark is going to run again if Dan Bishop decides to run for attorney general. Well, that's exactly what happened. So we've got between now and March before the primary happens, and I would fully expect other people to announce their decision to run, including Dan Barry, who's very popular in Union County as well. So we'll have a lot to look forward to and talk to about District 8 in the future. So I'm coming to you from Mayor Val Lyles' watch party tonight for the election. It's in the Armored Cow up at the university area. And we're going to talk to some other people and just get into this whole wild District 3, District 4 race. But also, I haven't had a chance to talk to you about what happened over the weekend with the Carolina Panthers. So we've got a lot of things that we're going to get into. I'm Brett Jensen, and you're listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen.
News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on this Tuesday night, election night of Breaking with Brett Jensen. It is the Mecklenburg County primary night and going to be coming to you live from the Armed Cal up here at the University Place. It's a brewery. That's where Mayor Valles is having her watch party, a couple with the other Democrats. There is no Republican primary, so this is what we've got tonight. And there are going to be a couple of interesting races. What's going to happen in District 3? Is it going to be Renee Johnson or is it going to be Will Russell? Mayor Valles completely endorsed Will Russell, the challenger. Renee Johnson, if she wins, how's that dynamic going to work out between her and Valles going forward? We'll get into that in a little bit later. But right now, let's talk about the Carolina Panthers. And they had their first season game of this past Sunday at Atlanta. And it just did not go well. Lost 24 to 10. The offense, the passing just was anemic, inept, whatever else you want to say. And I remember saying this way back on the first day of training camp. And Jeff Rickard, he's the program director over at WFNZ. And he has a show, you know, 10 to noon every day over there. And he asked me, he said, Brett, what do you want to see the most? And I said, I want to see who's going to catch the ball. Can they block for can they block for Bryce Young? And who's going to catch it? Who are the playmakers? You got a nice running back, and I know you drafted Jonathan Mingo, but Adam Thielen, like he's old. And who else you got? I know DJ Shark, you know, he was injured and didn't play, but okay, is he the game breaker that everyone thinks he's going to be? I mean, I don't know. Who's going to catch the ball? Who's the playmaker? And they just don't have one. And you saw the Atlanta defense just swarm. I mean, look. The running back, Miles Sanders, had a nice game. Right? It was, it was, it had a very solid game, nothing bad at all. I think averaged four yards a carry. I think 18 carries, 72 yards. Okay, four yards a carry. It's pretty solid. But when you look at Bryce Young's numbers, one touchdown, two interceptions, and he averaged 3.8 yards per attempt. Do you know how ridiculously low that is? That means everything was to the side. Everything was to the corners. Everything was screen passes, little dump-offs. I mean, little slants. That's a problem. I understand it's his first game. All the other rookie quarterbacks had horrible games also. And by the way, I watched the Colts game. Be thankful they didn't draft Anthony Richardson. He just cannot throw. Be thankful they didn't draft Justin Fields. Everyone kept saying, oh, my gosh, Justin Fields of the Chicago Bears. You know, he should have been here, you know, the last couple years ago. He, can, you know, no, he cannot throw either. Oh, my gosh, he's in his third year and he still can't throw. So be thankful. C.J. Stroud, he had a difficult time as well. So it wasn't the Bryce Young that was the only one struggled. All the rookies struggled, including Justin Fields, who's in his third year, who looked horrible. He can't throw. He cannot throw. But anyways, Carolina Panthers, defensively, okay, look, giving up 24 points to Atlanta, not the greatest thing in the world. Not the end of the world, but not the greatest thing in the world because no one's going to accuse the Atlanta Falcons of being the Miami Dolphins and scoring 40 points. They just they can't do it. They don't have that type of offense. They're not built for that. And But 24, that's probably going to be about the goal for the Atlanta Falcons. They figure if they can score 24, they can probably win. That's their goal. And, you know, look, I don't know how many times they're going to hit 24, but they got it against the, against the Carolina Panthers. And I am telling you right now, things better change this weekend. If things don't change Monday night, they have a 7 p.m. kickoff here at Bank of America Stadium on Monday, Monday night football, 
against the New Orleans Saints. If they go out and lose that game and you start out 0-2 in the division, and I'm telling you right now, this could be a very, very long season. We're talking four wins, three wins. They're going to be vying for that number one overall pick again. And if you do, you better go after a quarterback. I don't care if you did draft Bryce Young. If you can get Drake May, you get him. Even if you don't have the number one overall pick, if you can get Drake May or somebody like that, go get him. Go get him. Six foot four, six foot five, 230 pounds. Sorry, Bryce Young. You got to go. The Arizona Cardinals did it. Other teams have done it as well, going quarterbacks back to back. Nothing against Bryce Young, but if the Carolina Panthers are going to be that bad this year and they have a chance to get one of those superstar quarterbacks, you got to go get them. You got to, especially if you have a chance to get Drake May, hometown kid, Mars Park High School, go get them. Go get them. But look, I know it's just one game. Things may get better. Maybe things will change once, you know, DJ Shark comes back at wide receiver. But I will look at that team and I go, how are they going to score? How are they going to score? I, I don't know. I don't know. And you're going to see a lot. If They always say the biggest part of improvement is from week one to week two. Well, we'll see how much the Carolina Panthers improve because they've got a lot to improve on offense because it was not good. And, again, it's not all just on Bryce Young. Who's he supposed to throw to? Like, seriously, who's he supposed to throw to? You can only throw to your tight end so many times. So that's where we are. Next week, we'll reevaluate. We'll talk about it more in depth and go, okay, hey, prepare. Prepare yourself for a very long season. Or, hey, you know what? Maybe there's a little bit of promise and hope after all. But we'll talk about it next week. But right now, doesn't look very good. Does not look very good because there's not a wide receiver or two or three that are going to be walking through that door to save this franchise anytime soon. All right, when we come back, let's talk about tonight's elections and some of the implications and stuff like that. I'm Brett Jensen, and you're listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen. Right now, let's swing on over to the WBT Newsroom with Anna Erickson. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on Breaking with Brett Jensen on this election night, Tuesday night. I'm coming to you live from Armored Cow. It's a brewery up at the university area, and this is where Mayor Vilaos, as well as Will Russell, are having their parties, including a couple other Democrats tonight and as you guys can hear it's starting to get a little full and it's an unusual place to have the party I will say this immediately because this is up at the university and when you walk in the first 100 people you see are all college students who have nothing about the election don't care about the election and then now you're gonna have the bylaws and everyone else showing up in this little tiny back corner so it's a it's an unusual situation and as you can hear it's extremely loud but we're going to try and push through this for up until eight o'clock and uh, hopefully between now and then the mayor will show up and maybe i can grab her on air for a live interview real quick we'll see what happens but today it's 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 almost fitting that today is an impromptu type of day almost exact same thing happened five years ago today with me five years ago today my Mike Schaefer, our program director, at 10.30 in the morning, came up to me and said, Brett, how quickly can you get to Wilmington, North Carolina for Hurricane Florence? And I was like, this, my, 
literally my first day on the job. My first day on the job. It was uh, first on Monday, September 10th, signing all the paperwork. Tuesday, September 11th, doing all the HR videos. And then today was all, you know, then the 12th was driving to Wilmington. They came up to me and said, Brent, how quickly can you get to Wilmington to go cover the, maybe the biggest hurricane ever to hit North Carolina? And it's supposed to land in Wilmington. And so uh, find a dog sitter for Maggie and I'm not driving my car uh, because of the flooding and all that potentials. You find me a truck, I'll go down there. And they gave me a company truck and I found someone to get Maggie. And I think I got down to Wilmington around nine o'clock that night. And the next morning I was doing all my hurricane stories and interviewing the police chief of Wilmington and a couple of other people. But the funny thing is, is that almost the exact same thing happened this morning. Um, right around 9.45 this morning, Mark Garrison walks into the studio while I'm doing Bo and Beth and says, hey, do you want to go cover the, the mayor thing tonight? Uh, with Vi Lyles and Will Russell, the person that she endorsed in District 4. So I'm like, uh, I guess, because you know, I mean, I've got a show tonight. It goes from 7 to 8 o'clock at night. Well, the election party starts at 8 o'clock. So the only way live from here so here I am doing this show live but it's been crazy to think that today is my five-year anniversary of doing my very first ever assignment for WBT and it occurred to me earlier this morning when I was talking to Mike Schaefer show about I know this is gonna sound weird to some of you people and I, and I totally get it but these five years is the longest I've worked anywhere in my entire life, ever. Usually the stay is about three, three and a half years the next place. And that's very common in the world of media. People bounce around every two years or so because the only way generally you make more money is by moving to a bigger market, a bigger city. Well, you know, because back in the day I started out as a newspaper reporter and so per town so if I'm in the Charlotte Observer and I want to get you know more money then I have to move somewhere else and then keep moving up and climbing the ladder and climbing the ladder well it's the same things it's the same way in television and in radio and you know eventually I got to foxsports.com and then ESPN.com as a writer but you know but you so because of that you move around a lot I people don't people have a hard time believing this I moved 10 times in 14 years true story 10 times in 14 years I moved and here I have been at WBT for five years and it's the longest I've been anywhere in my entire life and I just I find that amazing that I've only I haven't when you start thinking about it, going really you've never been anywhere longer than five years and then you think about well yeah, I mean, I'm talking about like having to switch cities and everything else because if you're an accountant or a lawyer in Charlotte, how many law firms are in Charlotte? 8,000? So how many radio stations are there that you can do news? One? Two? How many sports stations, radio sports stations are there in Charlotte? One? Maybe two? And there's only one newspaper, so 
like, again, if you want to get more money and everything else, you have to keep moving and moving and moving. And so to think that I've been here in Charlotte at WBT for five years is astounding to me, especially considering I, I'd never the occasional time when sports would cross over into news, like when I was at FoxSports.com and Cam Newton flipped his truck and I was camped outside the hospital for two days reporting on Cam Newton and doing live reports on FS1 uh, on television. But I time or covering the Hornets, you know, and something happened with the Hornets or a college player that was news, somebody gets arrested or something like that. But that's about the extent of it. I, like That was my news experience. And so now here I am going from my very first assignment covering a hurricane down in Wilmington to now here we are exactly five years to the day of my first assignment covering the mayoral race. And I tell this all the time. And people think I'm lying or making up a joke or exaggerating. But I promise to everything holy in this universe. When I started five years ago, I knew who the President of the United States was, Donald Trump. I knew who the Vice President was, Mike Pence. I knew who the Governor of North Carolina was, Roy Cooper. And I had heard of Vilaos. I did not even know who my two Senators were. I had never heard the name Tom I didn't even know who that was. And I didn't know the other Senator either. And I sure as heck didn't know who my Congressman was. And if you think I knew anybody on the city council, county commissioners, or school boards, that's a joke. So so I've gone from not knowing any of these people to here we are five years later, and I have most of them on speed dial, and if I respond to me. So it's just wild to think where everything has transpired over the last five years. All right, when we come back, we'll see if anyone, uh, any of the candidates have arrived yet when we get back. Like I said, right now, the mayor hasn't showed up yet. Or Will Russell, the I think the very first person that she's ever endorsed while serving as mayor. So we'll uh, come back, see if any of them show up. And I'm coming to you again live from the Armored Cow Brewery up here at University Place. I'm Brett Jensen, and you're listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen. Welcome back to Breaking with Brett Jensen, coming to you live from the Armored Cow Brewery, where Will Russell, who's running for Charlotte City Council District 4 against incumbent Renee Johnson and Mayor Vile Lyles are holding their watch parties tonight for the end of the primary. And um, basically, if I counted by name every single person that voted in the primary, it would take five minutes because uh, what was it um, less than 8400 or 8400 people out of 1.1 million or you know 900,000 registered voters had voted going into today so Democrats are the ones that tend to vote early and often so when I and I joke about the often part but but the Democrats vote early I will never forget this I was uh, interviewing a congressman once and I said oh are you guys are you gonna vote early and have a this was like I don't know like four years ago I said oh are you gonna vote early and then have a press conference when you vote uh, you know to get the free publicity and the congressman said Brett I'm a Republican I vote on election day 
And I went, okay, that's fine, but no one's going to cover you because everyone's going to be the polls. And then an hour and a half later, oh, this congressman will be voting early at the polls to get all the press coverage. So my point is, is that Republicans always vote on election day, which many Republican leaders are trying to change. They're trying to get the people out there going, look, you've got two weeks. Don't put everything because there might be bad weather like is circulating around Charlotte right now or something may happen and you may not get to vote because maybe you have to pick your kid up or take your kid to the hospital or daycare or your ex-husband can't pick up your kid and you've got to do it or whatever, a work thing. So Republicans, it's been a big push to try and get Republicans out to the polls earlier than on an election day. But here's what's interesting. And just from a political standpoint, and many of you probably couldn't vote because there was no Republican primary. But here's the interesting thing concerning today. Here in District that District 3 fiasco in a second, because holy macaroni about that. But District 4, Renee Johnson, the incumbent, going against Will Russell. And Vi Lyles, maybe for the first time ever, as a city council member and as the mayor, someone and in a, in a primary, no less. And I'm, I asked around a lot of people today, and I said, why, why do you think that she's doing this? Why do you think, you know, Vi Lyles is actually endorsing Will Russell? And many people said, well, you know, not, not knowing for sure, but I can tell you that Renee Johnson is very difficult to get along with, and a lot of people do not like having to deal with her. Uh, just because you, you can't work with her. There's not a, a happy medium. It's her way or no way. And there's never a common or medium ground. And people are just looking for someone that's easier to w- deal with. You could disagree, but at least have the, you know, the sensibility to work with someone as a, you know, as a, you give a little to get a little. And apparently, from what a lot of people say, Renee Johnson just does not do that. And so, but even if that's true, it's a little surprising that Vi would absolutely still do this and just go, nope, I am throwing 100% of my support behind Will Russell. I mean, all his signs are her and together on his sign. And that's, um, that's amazing to me. And th- so, but let's say Renee Johnson wins. How's that going to work out on the old city council member meetings for the next two years where, where she's going to have to be sitting at the same dais as Vi Lyles and all those private meetings? You think Vi will put her on any committees? Uh, probably not. And then let's look at the fiasco that is District 3. <laughs> District 3, you've got someone, a woman who served four years in a federal prison who's probably going to win against a man who was accused of all these sexual harassment violations. One of them's going to win, and it's either going to be the sexual harassment guy that he was accused of being, or it's going to be the person who spent four years in a federal penitentiary and is a convicted felon. Now, she's from everything you hear, she's turned her life around, and she's you know got these nonprofits of helping women that are coming out of the jail in similar situations. But as someone said to me earlier today, Brett, it's difficult to deal with someone on a city council that is there 
for issues and not government. And that's a think about that. A cause, but you're not there for government. That's a problem because your entire focus is for the cause, the cause, the cause, not for governing the people or your district. And then you, there's not probably going to be a lot of wild craziness going on in the at-large people today, you know, and, and all those. Who's going to win that? The the felon or the person accused of all the sexual harassment? Or you're going to have the incumbent or Will Russell win in District 4? Is it going to be a comfortable next couple of years for bylaws, or is it going to be an uncomfortable couple of years for bylaws because Renee Johnson's sitting right us? And I just... I. I find that really fascinating, to be perfectly honest with you. I, I don't know what's going to happen. Word is is that they tend to think that Renee's going to win and that the woman felon is going to win. But who knows? And that the two men will lose. Don't know if that will happen. But we're going to find out how much power Vilaos actually has. We found out that Vil Malik, of the county commissioners, basically has no more power anymore. Like, she... She tried a couple of things over the last couple of elections, and they both failed in a blaze of glory. People realized she no longer has the power. She tried a coup d'etat with George Dunlap as the county commissioner, as the chairman of the board, failed. She tried a coup d'etat on the school board elections. That failed as well, trying to get a new board in there instead of Elise Dashu. That failed. Let's see how much power Elise, ha- excuse me, Vilaos has because if she fails, if she fails her uh, the, her election bid, then that's going to be that's going to say a lot for for her power. How much power does she have?